Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Hey, welcome again. If you missed the top half of our service, my name is Jose. I'm the campus pastor here for our West Palm congregation. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you, sharing God's word with you uh, this morning. Hey, I hope everybody had a a great week. I know here at Community of Hope, we had a great but very, very busy week on Tuesday. We had Gary Chapman. How many enjoyed Gary Chapman on Tuesday? Wasn't he wonderful? I heard he's 84. I thought he was like 20 when I saw him. He was so lively and wonderful. Wednesday, we had our COH students hang out. We had a wonderful time with our youth. And Thursday, we had our Confronting Human Trafficking Conference. How many attended that and enjoyed that as well? Wonderful. Hey, if you're a volunteer and you served in, those, in one of those three or in all three or in some, I want to just say thank you. Nothing happens at this church without you guys. So thank you very much. But speaking of volunteers... If you didn't know, Easter is right around the corner. You might think it's not, but it is. And every Easter, we have our annual Easter egg hunt. And this year, it's going to be on Saturday, April 2nd, between 9 a.m. and 12 p.m. If you're unfamiliar with our egg hunt, it's basically a fun family day with games. There's going to be a petting zoo. There's going to be an egg hunt. There's going to be bounce houses. There's going to be Dunk the Pastor. I'm kidding. That's not one down. Hey, but beyond the fun that we're going to have in this event, it's, it's really an outreach to our community. There's a lot of people that are just disinterested in Jesus. This is a great way for them to get to know us, fun, familiar, and family-friendly way. But to pull this event off, we need 40 volunteers. I'm going to repeat that again. We need 40 volunteers to help us with this event. I know what you're thinking. You don't want to be picking up any pumpkins for all of those who gave their their lives away to the pumpkin patch. There won't be any strenuous labor, I promise. Uh, But we need 40 volunteers to sign up for this event on Saturday the 2nd. Um, If you would like to sign up, there's two ways. You can do that today, this morning, um, at the welcome desk. You can just say, hey, I want to sign up. I want to serve um, at the Easter egg hunt. They'll sign you up for an event there to, to uh, what not to serve. However, you could also go online later to this week or today, communityofhope.church forward slash egg hunt. You're going to see all the information there. You'll be able to sign up to serve at our West Serve. Hey, thank you so, so, so much for just giving your time and your effort to serve with us. Now, moving on, we're, we're really on the, the later half of a series we're calling How Life Works. And we've committed at a church, as a church to go straight through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount between Matthew 5 and 7. And in this series, really the big idea is that Jesus presents to us the genuine ideal, the genuine Christian life, how our life ought to work in him in these three chapters, the Sermon on the Mount. And each of us, doesn't matter who we are or where we're coming from, is being challenged to adopt this vision of the Christian life for each and every one of our lives. And really, we've identified that the main way, the main way that we live out the Sermon on the Mount is by subordinating every other identity, 
every other ambition in life under the one name, the name of Jesus. But now, as I was preparing for uh, our sermon for this, this morning, I was reminded about something I read this a little bit different for everybody, especially for me this year. I, I quickly realized that a newborn child will ruin anybody's Valentine's Day, you know. But you know what? Actually, our, our Valentine's Day, Giselle and I's Valentine's Day this, uh, this year was a car drive, and the baby was not screaming. He was asleep. So I call that a win. We had a nice conversation. I call that a win in my book. I had a friend uh, tell me earlier this week, he said, by baby number three, the screaming won't even phase you anymore. <laughs> I'm not there yet. Harvin, I know you're there, yet, but. <laughs> now, uh, Valentine's Day, on the other hand, can be a little bit difficult for some people. I mean, if you're, um, sometimes it's a reminder of singleness for some people, and it's hard. Sometimes you've lost a loved one and you remember um, this, this, this week, I was reading about a guy who had a very difficult Valentine's Day, but perhaps not for the reasons that you might think. On Valentine's Day, this, this famous guy got caught, catch this, dating two women at the same time on Valentine's Day. We're not going to mention his name or where he's from or anything or sort of what kind of a famous person he is. We're not going to do that. It's not to dunk on him. The situation is what I want us to, to notice. This guy had been dating two women for some time, and here was his brilliant idea. Are you ready for this? He decided that on Valentine's Day, he would fly in both women to the same city, to the same hotel, <laughs> on the same day, okay? That was his bright idea. It sounds like a like a really bad comedy movie, but it's not. I'm not making this up. This is real. Um, and so on Valentine's Day, the only reason this blew up in his face was because these two women decided that they would post about their lovely date on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, he kind of, I don't even feel bad for the guy. He set himself up for it. Come on. And of course, the news ate it up. But here's, here's the bigger point that I want to get behind all this. It's interesting to note that even the broader culture, here's what they said. They said, listen, man, no, there are some things in life that you cannot love at the same time equally. And I found that interesting because today, in the passage that we're going to engage with in the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what Jesus says. There are some things that you cannot love equally with Jesus. And before I speak any further, I'm just going to let the text speak for itself. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read today from verses 19 to 24. Verses 19 to 24. It's on the screen. If you don't have your Bible, you can open up your Bible app. However you do it is great. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. And Jesus says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you in a posture of humility, recognizing that your words are difficult, that they're challenging, that none of us in this room have attained to them. But Lord, we just ask for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, that you would help us to grow in this area of our lives. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each and every one of us in our hearts? We're all in a different place with respect to you. Would you help us to take one step forward? We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So everything we've read so far, in the Sermon on the Mount, that is, has been pretty challenging. We've talked about some hard topics here as a church, but I think if we were to compile a list of like the top three, for example, I think that this passage would be one of them. And here's why. Jesus is going right at the heart of what makes us tick. Right at the heart of what many people get up every single day of their lives to do. And, you know, really the question is, what is it that you identify as the most important thing in your life around which everything else revolves? I mean, this is extremely challenging for me, for you, for everybody, if we're honest. And so although this passage is not singularly about money, doesn't have to be, perhaps a of course, until after 24, it can apply to a myriad of things, whatever you place before God. Today, we're going to talk specifically about money because Jesus thought it was important enough to explicitly mention it in his Sermon on the Mount. And so let's dive into the text. Here Jesus presents to us three sets of two alternatives pointing all to the same idea. Here's the first one. He says, there's two kinds of treasures in this world. Now, an earthly treasure and a heavenly treasure. Now, at first glance, you, you might think that's a little bit funny. You think of like treasure, you, you know, in our day and age, you might think of like pirates keeping treasure. Nobody really keeps treasure hidden in their backyard where vermin and, and rats can, can get to it, do they? So what is Jesus talking about here, right? Well, Jesus is, is using the word treasure to refer to you and to I's resources, our money, the things that we value most. You see, most normal people in those days, back in the first century, they would hold all their resources, what was valuable, rats, their homes. And guess what? That's exactly what it was vulnerable to, rust, rats, moths, vermin, all sorts of things. You and I aren't really worried about those things, are you? We have nice banks that we go and deposit money into. But we are worried about inflation. 
we are worried about market fluctuations, corrupt boards and politicians, Ponzi schemes, that's why we have auditors. See, Jesus' point is this, earthly treasure is temporary, it's not secure, and it's extremely vulnerable and volatile. And by the way, when you die, Jesus says, you, you can't take your treasures with you. There's an old saying that goes, the richest guy in the graveyard, guess what? He's still dead, just like everybody else. You know, when I think of this passage, I, I think of my, my beloved deceased grandmother, whom, whom we knew as, as Mima, it's a, an endearing term in, in Spanish for grandmothers. My, my grandparents, to give you a little bit of background, they, they came from Cuba in the 1960s. Um, and due, because of the, the communist regime, they had to leave everything behind. They weren't able to take everything, anything. All they could take was the clothes they were wearing and one suitcase. That is it. Their whole life's work, everything that they had attained, my grandfather was a butcher, left it all behind, appropriated by the government. And they found themselves as foreigners living in a new land in a, with a new language, starting over with four girls, one of whom was my mother, who was just three years old at the time. And my, my grandfather eventually, he passed away a little bit before I was born, and, and he left everything to my grandmother. They had a little property. He had saved up some money, and she moved in with my parents, and she sold everything off so she could provide for herself. And that amounted to about $250,000, the life work of two immigrant parents here to the United States. Now, the money was then then placed in a well-known international bank called Stanford Bank in Miami. And a well-known bank, no reason to be suspicious about it. However, nobody knew that the CEO of this bank was actually running something of a Ponzi scheme at the bank. Nobody knew. Two immigrants' parents, gone. Completely. If you're a millionaire, $250,000 doesn't mean, this may not mean much. When you came here and you gave everything up and you start over, and that's all you had, means everything. But I'll never, I'll never forget what her response was. Because it shocked me in the moment. And so when we, we went and we presented her the reality that her husband's life work here in the States was absolutely gone. She said this. She looked at us. She said, in Spanish, translated into English, she said, naked I came into this world and naked I'll leave. That's what she said. Point blank. Now, with that context... With that context, can we take a moment and reread Matthew 6, 19 to 20? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Can I repeat that one more time? Where thieves break in and steal. Where thieves do not break in and steal. Makes a little bit more sense now, doesn't it? You see, Jesus is saying, you think money can buy you real security. Guess what? It can't buy you the security that you're looking for. It actually never will. Now, is Jesus saying that it's wrong to have a savings account? That it's wrong to save for your future, to have a retirement, to save for your kids' education? 
Absolutely not. Actually, the Bible applauds the wisdom of saving for the future. And this is super important. We often say a phrase, let the Bible interpret the Bible. You can't read a phrase out of the Bible, take it out of context, and make a whole theology about it because you're going to get it wrong. Read the whole Bible in context. Those are good things. The key here that Jesus wants us to see is, the key word is yourself. Don't store treasures up for yourself. Your ambitions, the things that you value the most, because that is exactly where your heart is going to be. Secondly, Jesus says that there's, there's two kinds of eyes. There are healthy eyes, and there are unhealthy eyes leading to either light or darkness. And so every time I read this passage, and others have brought it up, this seems to be the most confusing part of this passage. Is Jesus talking about some physical ailment like glaucoma or something? He's not. <laughs> He's not talking about anything physical with the eye. Everybody in that day and age would have perfectly understood what Jesus says. Here's why. Because it was an, a common idiom of that day for generosity. In other words, healthy, you have healthy eyes, you are a generous person. You have unhealthy eyes, you're a stingy person. You're not a generous person. And, by, and thus, you either have light or darkness. And that's what Jesus was getting at, leading us to the final two contrasts that he says, there are only two masters, God or money. Now, this too can just be a little bit confusing if we're honest. I was, as I was doing my own study for this, I was reading the word master and I couldn't, I couldn't relate to this personally, and I, and I figured out why. Because culturally, we just have a hard time relating to the concept of master. In ancient Israel, the concept of an indentured servant of slavery, really, is way different than the American memory of slavery. It's very different. It actually doesn't coincide with what Jesus is saying here. So I thought maybe, maybe we can relate it to the concept of bosses, but I know plenty of people who have multiple bosses, two, three jobs, they love neither of their bosses. <laughs> so that didn't make any sense either. And then it clicked. For us, this fits with a rela- at a relational scale. You can't be in love, really, with to more than two or more than one person. Sorry, look at me. <laughs> Mishap. You can't be in love with more than one person at a time. The human heart was designed for singularity of devotion. And so, uh, remember what 1 Timothy 6.10 says, where Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. See, money itself is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money when you put it before the Lord Jesus. And so frankly, money makes a terrible master that enslaves you. It overpromises and underdelivers, and that will be true every single time. God is a wonderful master who sets people free. It's your choice. Now, the bit for us today really is how do we guard ourselves from the love of money. How do we do it? How do we in this highly consumeristic culture, highly materialistic culture, which by the way, we are like the richest, one of the richest Christians in the whole world, 
Even the lower income people in our nation are richer than the average person in other continents. Just so you know that. So how do we as a a church body protect ourselves from the love of money? And here's how you do it. The way to loosen the grip of the love of money from your heart is through generosity. It's through giving it away. And here's how you work that into your life. And so this is when we're going to get really practical in this. So we're going to apply this right here, right now. And this, the, what comes after this, what, comes, what I'm going to be talking about now, you could really apply it to a myriad of different, uh, a myriad of different things in your life. It doesn't have to be church specifically. For the sake of our example today, I'm going to be referencing more the church. And so for at least all of us, we all start on this number one. We all start giving out of self-interest. Everybody does this, whether you realize it or not, in maybe a lot of different areas of your life. For example, go back to 2020, lockdown, okay? I told you, Sal, gee, we have to go get takeout from Don Ramones because I don't want them to close. We have to do it like twice a week. We got our, our, to support our local businesses. Wasn't that a thought? right? And a lot of people did that. We Obviously, out of some good heart, I think I just didn't want them to close. I love their food. So, <laughs> some people give charitable donations to uh, the charities for a, a tax cut at the end of the year. That's true. Or at church, sometimes people give money in the basket because it clears their conscience. And I just want to say about that, Jesus can do that for free. You don't have to give money for that. Jesus can clear your conscience. He can forgive you of your sins for free. That is not why we give at church. But here's the next level up. After self-interest, we start giving out of gratitude. Out of gratitude. And here's the thought behind this. At this stage, we turn upward. We turn towards God. We recognize the blessings that God has given us. And we say, Lord, in what you have given, I am giving back. And I just, I just want to say that this is a huge step. If you find, if you're like, yeah, this is, this is where I am. This is where I'm at. I'm grateful. I want you to know this is a huge step because this is a sign that God is working in your life. This is discipleship. Yes, there is such a thing as financial discipleship. God cares about how we use our money, but we can't stay here. The second level up is giving out of obedience. And here's where generosity becomes thoughtful. It becomes intentional. And so here's what I want us to notice out of obedience. Some people think that for me to, to give, I have to feel emotional about it. When you're giving out of gratitude, you most certainly are. But guess what? When you give out of obedience, it's not emotional. It's intentional. It's thoughtful. Everybody in a relationship knows that ooey gooey feelings They fade. The intentionality of love is what drives the relationship. And so I honestly think this is a big challenge for us, for all of us in the room. And sometimes we place this under the category of tithing, 10% of of the income, right? But here's here's what I want to say. If you want to start learning how to give out of obedience, you don't have to start at 10%. You can just look at your own finances. You can say maybe 1%, maybe half a percent. Life is hard right now. I know the pandemic has hit a lot of businesses. 
You can start wherever you need. The Lord knows your heart. It's not about the amount of money. It's about your heart. Now, the next level up is spiritual vision. And this is really at this stage is when you begin to see the world a different way. When you begin to say, I want to partner with, with causes that, that for human flourishing and causes that restore in God's kingdom. But moving past that one, lastly, we identified that really the, the top level, the top motivation for giving is really love. And not just love for people, but love for Jesus. Because you love God, you sacrificially give. It's all his in the first place, and so you give it back. It's almost sometimes a little bit irrational. This can include you giving to institutions, but frankly, this is where you look for at random acts of financial kindness anonymously with no benefit in return. You give out of love, and you don't expect anything, anything back. So just take a moment and look and ask yourself, where am I today? And where does God want me to go to? Where does he want me to go? Now, some of you might be thinking, Jose, I agree 100%, and I want to grow in my generosity. As a matter of fact, I really, I've really been feeling like money has a hold over my heart. But I'm in so much debt that I can't do it. I can't give. Can't even buy Christmas presents at the end of the year. So much debt. And if that's you, I want you to know you are not alone. And the Lord knows your situation. And I want to offer another applicational step for those of you in the room. We have what's called our Financial Peace University offered from uh, Dave Ramsey. And here, I would encourage you to take this class if, if that's you. Because it's a class that we offer to help people achieve financial freedom and, and do money God's way. Extremely powerful course. I highly recommend it to you if you feel like debt as a hold of your life in this moment. We do have an interest form online at communityofhope.church forward slash groups. And we do have a class starting in March. I would encourage you to do that. But now in, in closing, I just, I just want to say, Would we as a church body heed Jesus' words? Would you renounce money as your master, as the thing that you wake up secure? Because it will leave you empty. It is insecure. It is vulnerable. It makes a wonderful tool. We all need it to live, but it makes a terrible master. So give your heart to King Jesus instead and take your next step in generosity. And I promise you, I promise you that Jesus will set you free through it. Church, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. You are a God who gives good gifts. And in this moment, Lord, Lord, we ask that you would speak to each and every one of us and you would show us, Lord, where do we fall in our motivation for generosity? Have we been generous in this season of our lives? Lord, where can we grow? Do we need to start recognizing the things that you've given us and being grateful? Do we need to start being obedient in our generosity to see people the way that you see them? Begin to give out of love, sacrificially. 
Lord, would you loosen the grip of money from all of our hearts? The tendencies and the desires are always there. Would you be honored in the way that we use our money and our finances in our lives and with our families? Lord, we lift this up to you. And for anybody in this room, Lord, who is just drowning in debt, Lord, who has such a burden this morning, Lord, would you give them the strength, the discipline, and the persistence, Lord, to take one step forward at a time? Would you hold their hand and would you provide to lift that burden from them in due time? Lord, we worship you and we honor you in everything that we do, including our finances. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, church, I pray that the Lord spoke to you about generosity. It's really what it is, and it's not about the amount of money. Jesus doesn't need your money. Don't insult God that way, actually. He, he can provide for himself. I, I promise you that. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Church, would you uh, maybe take a posture of prayer if you want, close your eyes, and just receive this blessing from Paul's letter to the Colossians, and starting in chapter 3, where he says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Church, go in peace. God bless. We'll see you next week. Amen.